tonight we have a very special guest on our camp chat series uh his name is joe pell for those of you that don't know him um i'm very surprised that you don't know joe joe's a very popular face in the hunting industry and very active on social social media platforms um mm -hmm. I've known Joe for a couple of years. I did a deal with him on some equipment a couple of years ago. So I, I met him in person. I have uh, a photo that I pull out every once in a while just to show people how small I really am standing beside Joe. Um, it's a good photo and uh, I appreciate you letting me take that because it's it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of raised eyebrows and go, wow, that's a large man. Anyway, thanks. So uh, for those that don't know Joe, he's a BC boy, um, Squamish based. You've been, you've lived there your, pretty much your entire life, I guess maybe a bit with your career you bounced around, but. Yeah, born and raised. Squamish. I was born um, the local hospital and raised in a house less than a kilometer from my current house. But yeah, obviously during my athletic and academic career, I moved away for a little bit, but uh, this has been my homestead for the majority of my life. It's a beautiful part of the country. And Joe is a husband. Uh, he's got a uh, got one son who's growing like a weed. I follow you as well. And that boy, I think he's going to be every every bit as big as his dad when he gets when he gets there. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun keeping him in shoes. I'm sure when he gets older. Oh boy, yeah, he's already he's already filling stuff out quick. But hopefully, he'll be packing moose quarters for me in no time. Yeah, kids are handy for that. They're handy for that. So I'm just looking at your like at your bio, Joe. Um, I it says you um, you actually work for Wild TV as well. You're a business development guy there. So that is that the case? Yeah, yeah. I'm the director of business development for Wild TV and our family of companies. Um, so it's Wild TV, Recoil Creative Group, Cowboy Channel Canada, RFD TV Canada, and then Water Channel Canada. So. Um, mm -hmm. Despite what most people think, I don't just hunt for a living. I have a I have a regular nine to five. It's just um, because I work for the network. They're a little more lenient when it comes to taking time off. Right on. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's a good job. And then also, I think everybody knows this. You're the co-host of the Edge TV show, and you're also a former CFL football player. Yes, sir. That's uh, that was an extensive introduction, and uh, you were very generous with some of the praise along the way. So I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I know I had an athletic career. Um, yeah, uh, played in the CFL for a little while. Um, won the hundredth grade cup back in the day. Seems like a lifetime ago. And mm -hmm. uh, now I get to do the stuff I'm really passionate about, which is run run around the mountains here in BC. Awesome. Well, that's, you know, as much as we could talk about football and all the other fun stuff, we, we got you on here to talk hunting. So um, I got to tell you, man, uh, 2022 and 2023 are, have been some pretty epic, like spectacular epic hunting seasons for you. So I'm just going through the list and I, I don't know if I got them all, but in 22, it was a black bear, a moose, an elk, your first stone sheep. And that's what I know about for BC. Was there some international stuff last year as well? I went to Argentina last year. I didn't uh, end up pulling the trigger. Had a beautiful stag in the crosshairs, but um, the cameraman mm -hmm. didn't get on him. There was some complications with some bush in the area. Uh, I did go down to New Mexico and I got my first pronghorn. That was a fun hunt. Mm -hmm. um, what else did we do last year? Seems so far away now. It's been such a busy year. Uh, got a goat last year as well. Uh, northern bc um, oh mountain goat cool yeah 
trying to think if I, I, I honestly was that um, deer last year. Was your goat on the same hunt as your sheep? Was it like that was the same trip, right? It was the same trip. We ended up making two episodes out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, it was all on one big jet boat trip up north. But um, the stone sheep hunt was kind of separate because we went up to a certain spot. I had my buddy drop me off. He went down and hunted the river, and I did eight days um, on foot. And then I came back down and, and rejoined him, and we went and did a goat hunt from there. So did you, um, on that one, you had a cameraman with you as well? Yes. Yeah. I had a buddy, uh, Matt, he was, it was an experience for him. He trusted me a lot because he went from doing some whitetail hunting and black bear hunting, like, like day trips, um, to agreeing to do this backcountry trip with me. And, uh, I'm bullheaded when it comes to being in the mountains and hiking and pushing hard and giving her. And I mean, I can hike pretty decent and it took us two and a half days just to get back to where we were hunting sheep. And mm-hmm. that poor sucker kept up with me pretty good through the whole trip. There was a few spots where we took breaks and I probably cursed him under my breath a bit, but he made it. <laughs> well, that's tough too, especially if, um, if you're the guy that is struggling to keep up with the other guy, yeah. life is hell. Uh, I've been on a couple trips like that and I can, I can speak with experience that it's tough, but, and of course I'm sure his pack was probably pretty heavy with camera gear and then all his hunting or survival yeah. gear camp gear and everything i packed uh, i packed a lot of extra gear um when it comes to like shelter and things like that um for that mm-hmm. purpose because i mean i feel bad for the camera guys like as the hunt goes on my food bag gets lighter my pack gets lighter obviously his food bag gets lighter but those batteries that camera gear all of that stuff doesn't get any lighter as the hunts go on so it takes a special breed to a be a cameraman in the backcountry and B, be a cameraman in the backcountry that's stupid enough to agree to go with me. So. <laughs> I bet it's an adventure, though, for sure. I bet he loved it. Mm-hmm. So that's fast forward to 23. You've been a busy boy. So you did an Owdad hunt in uh, Texas. That was with Snyder, right? Yeah. Yeah, I went down. Um, we were chatting at Western Hunt, and it was supposed to happen in I guess end of February or some point. And then he called me. He's like, Hey Joe, I got a, I got a window in my schedule. We got to bump it up. So I ended up like jumping. I did. I jump, yeah. I jumped my truck and it's like, I was like, Kate, we're giving her and, and uh, headed down. We were down there. I think it was three or four days down running around with Snyder. Um, ton of fun. Odd ad hunt. Like I've heard of them. I've seen the stuff, but I mean, when you think about hunting in Texas, you don't think about the Paladero Canyon where it's like steep goat country. And you're hunting these like mesquite flats right next to these canyons. So it goes from like this rolling flat kind of openish deserty type terrain to steep goaty bluffs. It, it was a really cool fun hunt. You know, a lot of people refer, I'm sure you've heard the quote, it's referred to as the poor man's sheep hunt, right? To to hunt the Audat. And you know, we kind of say that with a grain of salt from BC when we buy our $46 sheep tag. But our friends south of the border are, you know, notching six figures on the checkbook to do it. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, I'd, I'm looking into some uh, some hunts. My wife actually suggested we we do go to Texas and I could do an out at hunt. So I'll be picking your brain on that one when we start getting a little closer. If there is one thing I can say about the hunt is do it. They are beautiful animals. Um, 
it can be as tough of a hunt as you want it to be or as easy as a hunt as you want it to be i went down with the yeah. bow me camera guy and snyder were sneaking around the bush and uh they stay herded up pretty big so they'll have 30 to 40 head like ewes and lambs with um the rams so it makes it challenging you have that many eyes in some of that open terrain mm -hmm. to get in on uh so to do it with a bow was difficult to say the least um but beautiful country beautiful animals like just such cool fun animals to chase and uh yeah really cool terrain so it's a great off-season hunt i mean it's a great hunt year any time of the year but uh, during the off-season yeah I really enjoyed it. and how's the meat is it what did you say on the sheep scale or the goat scale or somewhere in between uh, more late season goat scale oh okay yeah so I, shoe leather ish yeah it's tough it's grainy like you cut it and it's kind of like cutting through piano wires um <laughs> it's not the best table fare you're probably going to get a lot of jerky and pepperoni out of it yeah. i don't know i've talked to a lot of people i haven't heard anybody ever tell me stories of you know um you know like a lot of animals if you shoot them pre-rut they'll be really tasty and then post-rut they're different but i think Odd actually they're uh, receptive like they're kind of breeding on and off throughout the whole year i, I believe um mm -hmm. so i don't know that there's like i haven't heard too many people say oh man i had this odd ad steak and it was unreal but if yeah. if anybody out there has recipes please send them my way <laughs> yeah there you go yeah right on and then um so that was out and you did some spring bear hunting this year yeah I, I followed you a bit but i don't you didn't pull the trigger this year did you no uh last year i took two i got a, a beautiful archery boar and then i i uh i was actually out scouting for a bear for my wife and i took another really nice boar um mm -hmm. with my rifle that night and i got closer to him than i got with my bow on the other one but i just <laughs> timing wise i left my bow in the truck but i had a really good season for bear last year so this year i was being pretty picky um mm -hmm. put a lot of time into it and my goal was either a color phase uh bear i'd take a color phase boar with the rifle or if it was going to be a jet black bear it was going to be archery um okay i had two opportunities on really like beautiful hammer um black bears but both of them would have been rifle opportunities um i was tempted my finger got itchy but i just said you know what yeah. i'm sticking to my guns i'm sticking to what i said and i, I didn't pull the trigger on either of them um mm -hmm. Did I regret that a little bit? Maybe. Because I do love, like, we eat a lot of bear meat around here. I love the rendered bear fat. We use all of that at our house. Uh, okay. But, yeah, no. just Bear, are you, um, do you use, like, as burger, roasts, sausage? What do you prefer with bear meat? Uh, roasts, a lot of burger. Um, I actually do a lot of my uh, jerky. I made a, make a lot of grind jerky with my bear. Um that a lot of people really enjoy but even just steaks and roasts i've done it a lot i'll sous vide it a lot which is when you put it in like the the ziploc bags right. or the backpack bags and then you boil it so you use that to get it up to temperature pretty high um because one of the big issues people have with bear meat is you have to get it to 165 for trick technically it's lower but it, to be on safe, safe side, 165 right they don't do a lot of studies yeah. they've done a lot of studies on farm trick versus wild trick and you can apparently go as low as 132 but they haven't studied the wild strain of trick so everybody just says go 165 that's where the tests live for that but um yeah so we do a lot of those types of things sous vide is a really good way to get around that um and then we actually started doing last year or the year before a lot of like shredded pork and shredded beef recipes and using our bear meat for that 
Um, so like pulled meat sandwiches, all of those types of things. And oh, it's perfect meat for that. Perfect meat. Right on. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I think, you know, the table fair side of hunting is probably the least talked about, you know, least exposed on social media and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, to me, I mean, that's, that's the reason we do it is to create these crazy meals. I mean, it, there's nothing better than having someone who's never eaten wild game over for dinner and then yeah, showing them, showing them what you can do with it and, and yeah. how good it is. Right. And there's so many recipes out there. So we're uh, we've got a space on Spike Camp just in, just for uh, field to table and hoping to push that pretty hard this winter. Get guys on there with some recipes and stuff. So that's cool. Right on. So I'll throw some up there for you guys. Oh, uh, that'd be great. Um, so back to back sheep, two years in a row. Like congratulations, man. What was the difference between the the first hunt last year? I'm assuming you've been hunting sheep. I would hope, given that I've been doing this for six years and haven't killed one, I hope you didn't just walk out last year, do a big hunt and shoot one and then shoot another one the next year. No, my my first ram was on my fifth sheep hunt hunt that I've done. Um, None of them guided. um, Some were with some friends. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, I've done uh, stone sheep hunts and I've done some hunts along the Fraser River. Each hunt's been over a week. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, no, there was a lot of lessons learned along the way. A lot of lessons learned with my first harvest that I used to make sure that my second harvest, um, my first Ram, as I'm sure if people have been following along, know that it was a younger Ram. Um, so there were some mistakes I made in the field with regards to aging properly and making sure that it was a mature Ram, but again, well past the nose, like very legal, like very legal. Yeah. Just past the nose. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, after my first Ram, kind of after getting that out of the system, my second Ram, he was a month, like I could tell he was a great Ram and I closed the distance and I spent like five hours watching him before I could get a good count on him to make sure I just knew regardless, I wasn't going to shoot a Ram unless he was eight plus. Um, mm-hmm. and this guy was, uh, there's been a lot of back and forth, whether he's eight or nine, I'm going with eight. Um, but a beautiful Ram, like heavy bases, holds a mass well beautiful tight curl, beautiful cape, huge body on them too. I mean, if you sheep hunt and if you've taken a stone sheep, you know, the meat is delicious. And unfortunately they're not the biggest animals in the bush, but, and you eat a lot in the field, but luckily this guy's body was big enough. I was actually able to bring a lot of meat home with me still, not just eat a bunch of them in the, in the hills. Yeah. They're so good. Um, I've been on one successful sheep hunt and I still tell people, and of course, you know, you're eating, you know, dehydrated meals for a week oh. and then you, you cut into something like that. Or you could probably have any meat and, th- and think the same, but there's something about stone sheep and the fat, right? Like some fat. of that fat on the frying pan or the rock or whatever you're cooking on. I mean, I could swim in that shit. It's so good. It's the so fat good. caramelizes. It's like a, somewhere between like a really nice beef and like almost like a pork. It's got some, I don't know if the pork side of it just comes from, the fact that you have been eating dehydrated meal and everything, but it's like a sweet, really tasty fat. Whereas a lot of other game meats, the fat gets waxy, especially as you get mm-hmm. into the colder months, it gets waxy, sticks to your mouth, all of that. This fat is just, and I always bring a little bit of seasoning in my backpack as well. So like you're eating everything mm-hmm. else and all of a sudden you have like these well-seasoned ribs over a fire. Um, Unbelievable. I don't know if I'll ever have a better meal in my life. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so this year's hunt, you said you did jet boat last year. I'm, of course, we don't want to know where, and you'll never tell us. But was no. it the same transportation, or were you flying this no. year? Or did you do something? Different? Uh, no, this was a different location. We went up. Uh, it was a combination of a lot of miles on the pickup truck. Then we did some side by siding into an area, and then a lot of foot miles from there. Um, mm -hmm and covered a lot of ground and then uh yeah it was a very different experience this year in that the previous year i called it technically when we put the show on air we called it a solo hunt um we put it that way because it was just me and my cameraman no guide experience or anything like that um and my yeah. cameraman was very new to sheep hunting so it wasn't like it was two experienced sheep hunters going in um but it wasn't a true solo hunt whereas this one um, I was at camp, so we were kind of camped out with, with other guys, but my cameraman had an injury the day before. So when I went in that day, I was full solo. I was just going up in the hills to try and make something happen. Um, because you have the pressure to try and get an episode when you're in the bush. And I had spotted right. some sheep off on a very distant area. And I just woke up in the morning. I was like, I'm going to bring a little bit of self-filming gear. I'm going to do my best. So when the episode does come out, forgive me if it's not up to snuff for everybody, but um i'm trying to age a ram i'm trying to get close enough and close a distance and not get busted by this band of rams and there was a big group of ewes and lambs with them as well so um it was quite the experience but for someone who doesn't get to hunt on my own as much as i used to and as much as i like to being able to have yeah. such an exciting hunt happen when i was completely on my own was it was a really special opportunity for me i can only imagine so then um this band of rams and lambs and ewes that you saw did you, the first time you saw them was it something just fell behind you my odd dad skull just fell off is that what that <laughs> was no. i think he's okay though so we're good i look there's no bone pieces around they're tough they smash heads all year so uh, well put a, put a tag on it julia just tag something else right there yeah i know we just dropped something <laughs> combo. joe i had a quick question for you on the um on the sheep uh, was it a different time of year than the one your first round? Like it looks like the, it almost looks like the like the hide of the coat was like a lot darker on this one. Yeah, it was a different time of year. What time? Um, I don't think we were. Yeah, it wasn't in October. It was later in September for this ram for sure. Um, but I was surprised for the time of year. We actually looked at him and we realized that the cold weather must be moving in pretty soon because mm -hmm. he was furred up more like a. I wouldn't say a late season ram because I've seen some late season rams where it's a really thick cape, but he was furred up definitely like towards the end of mid season. Um, like he had a really thick coat on him. I packed the entire cape out so I can tell you he had a very thick coat on him because that sucker was heavy. Um, oh, yeah. But the fat on him too, like he had fat on him like a freaking, like a muley or something. Like he was real thick fat, which was, again, if you enjoy sheep fat and you enjoy eating the meat was a huge blessing in the bush to be able to snack on all of that, put on a few pounds after hiking so much. Um, For sure. But yeah, probably only a few weeks because um, my previous ram was early September. And then, uh, yeah, this ram was later on in September, but probably only two or three weeks later in the year, but a huge difference mm. with regards to body fat, with regards to cape, all of the yeah. above. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you spotted them in the morning and said, sayonara, I'm going for it? I had spotted that's, them. That's how that the, went. Yeah, I had spotted them the previous, I spotted some sheep on a far ridge, on a distant ridge the previous day. Um, and uh, what had happened is my cameraman, he had a, he got a bit of a calf strain early in the day. 
and then it progressed and got worse as the day went on um and i saw it on the distant area and i was like there's no way we can get out there and get back and it was torturous because i saw a good group of using lambs and i could tell that there was four rams with them i i could see enough of what ended up being my ram that i knew he was one that i wanted to get a better look at but i was still pretty far away so i kind of took a mental note of where they were continued the day's hunt by the time we got back to camp that night the injury had progressed to the point where we knew um if i was gonna be hunting with my cameraman like i was gonna be very handcuffed to what i was gonna be able to do um so i kind of just said hey man stay at camp rest up and uh i'm gonna go make the most out of today because i knew i knew where i wanted to go after seeing those sheep i was like i know i gotta get back here and it's yesterday was tough but like it's gonna be a lot worse today um so yeah i woke up and like full tilt right from waking up started covering ground aggressively like i was dripping from start to finish to where i got to the point where i had eyes on them um and i did have an encounter with a wolf on the way up as well um so i ended up taking a wolf uh on the way up and then uh yeah got in on him but it was it was a long poke to get back into him and they were it's an area they were just migrating through and i happened to catch them so i caught them mm-hmm. farther along on a few more ranges um and it just so happened i crept over this ridge and i knew like they should be somewhat in that area right after start covering more ground to find them and i could just see the tops of three of their heads on the back side of a ridge and then at probably two and a half or three k and then they started feeding up towards me and i could start seeing more of them and then they were standing there scrapping and fighting um and then as the day progressed i i watched and waited and uh because where they were they were in a spot i wouldn't be able to get into safely without being spotted um and we played a little bit of back and forth because they they were kind of in the bottom of the base and they started going up the one side so i grabbed all my gear i stayed at like 2.2 or 2.5 k away just to make sure i was far enough away i wouldn't bust them and drop down through the valley bottom all the way start going up the other side and then i look ahead and some using lambs and stuff it came up so they went back to the other side of the draw oh, shit. we're going up the other side so i was like okay all the way back down to the bottom back up start climbing the other side get into a rock pile belly crawl up over an edge and i'm looking at them and they had hung up on the in a small little patch of like the alpine trees on the side and they're hanging out there and then all of a sudden i'm watching them there for maybe like 15 minutes i'm getting my breathing calm and then they go back the way they had gone the first time and I was like, you guys are just ticking me off now. So I had to go all the way. I, I waited this time until they went. There was a bit of a roll they, until they kind of went out of sight, but I knew what direction they were going. And I, this time, like dead sprint all the way down and like without breaking stride, climbed all the way to the top of this range. Um, and uh, luckily, um, I wasn't sure if they were going to roll over into the next kind of area or what was going to happen. So I got to the top, got my spotter out, put it on my tripod. I used my phone adapter to make sure I could zoom in and kind of use that to count annuli and age. Um, and I got my my gun out on my bipod and I'm trying to mess around with this camera and stuff. And I start belly crawling with one thing in each hand and I'm crawling along and, and I kind of realized like I was getting towards the tail end of this one shoulder that I was on. And I was like, if I don't see them on this next roll, they've, they're gone from here and I'm gonna have to like, I'm gonna be chasing them. And I peek over this last rise and I'm crawling along and all of a sudden I look and there's three of the rams, three of the four rams feeding around this big rock. And right away I recognize the three of them as the three younger rams from the group. 
and the ram that I wanted to see, I could just see the crown of his horn and his lamb tip mm-hmm. sticking out from behind the rock. So, um, yeah, I kind of just got into position and, and I ended up just hanging out there for quite a while before I could see and get a good age on him. And obviously I had to wait him out until he stood up. Mm-hmm. So had you, um, you'd already sort of confirmed that you had no idea he was legal till you were that close. Yeah. I knew he was a, I knew he was legal on full curl at that point. So I knew he was legal on curl. Um, but I was dead set, not shooting around that was under eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no idea how old he was at this point. Um, I knew, yeah, after I saw those other three Rams, I knew that he was probably going to be close because they were, um, they had short annual, but he ended up just being a freak. Like he had really strong growth. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, at one point in time, I, I had the, as I mentioned, I had the, the phone set up on my spotter and it was kind of pointed right where it needed to be. And then the youngest Ram went and tried to bed down right next to him. And he got up from behind the rock and ran the youngest one off. And he, I think I timed it. It was like 5.6 or six seconds. He got up, ran the other one off and went back in behind the rock. But because I had been recording it through my spotter, I was able to zoom in freeze frame and then kind of count annuli. And I was like, okay, obviously he's well past the nose. That's never been an issue here. Um, But there's, you know, clear as day, three clear annuli well before the base. Um, So at Mm -hmm. that point, I knew it was game on and, and all of a sudden lying there in the right dip on. while I'm waiting out the rainstorm and all of that nasty stuff. And I started cramping a bit. I was like, I don't even care. I don't care at this point because this guy's in the wide open. And I think I had the rock was at 436 yards. So it's like everything was just playing out perfectly. It was pretty cool. So you put the snowy mountain 300 PRC to work. Dude, I'm telling you. So uh, some people know I, I was shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor for a while. And uh, I got the job done with the 6.5, um, but that 300 PRC is a hammer. Like everything I've it's pointed out, the, the furthest distance from point of impact to animal like expiring has been 10 yards. If, yeah. if 10 yards, and that was my caribou. Um, but everything mm-hmm. else has been like bang flops on the spot. And uh, the ram the ram was no exception. Um, so I waited him out. I mentioned I waited him out for quite a while. Then the group of ewes and lambs were actually coming up over the ridge as well. And I was worried because my my wind, so there right here, my wind was blowing kind of quartered too. And I was like, this isn't the best, but there's no other way I could have approached them from. Um, and I realized at that point too, I was skyline. So this, this kind of little bowl I had crawled into, if I moved at all, and there was one of the little rams was bedded and staring at me. If I moved at all, like the blue skies had come out. If I moved, I was busted. So I'm like, okay, I can't move. I'm starting to cramp. This is super uncomfortable, but these ewes and lambs came up and started feeding past them towards me. And I was like, okay, if these ewes and lambs come too close, they might catch my crosswind. And then these, they're all going to run out of here. So I'm kind of going to be screwed. But luckily when the ewes and lambs started coming past, all the rams got curious and they jumped up and started heading towards them. And then he actually got up and started feeding straight at me. And was kind of coming through the rocks. And I was like, okay, it's 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 fine. But I just kept the gun on him. And I just had to wait till he turned broadside. I had some opportunities. I could have taken like a brisket shot or a quarter two shot. But they weren't on high alert. I knew I had time. So I kind of just waited. He wasn't perfectly broadside, but he was mostly broadside. And uh, yeah, if when you guys see the episode when it goes live, like you guys will be able to see the kill shot. But it was, there was no doubt. And, and that's what mm-hmm. you got you dream of right is like you pull the trigger there's not a okay i gotta go chase him i gotta go find him um sure. and 
I was really far from camp, so I was really glad I didn't have to go even farther from camp to find them because we were by some really nasty cliffs and bluffs. But uh, yeah, luckily he piled up right there. Well, and so then, uh, then the work begins. So this is quite the day. You solo. You shot a wolf on the way up. Long day. Yeah, T played tag with these things back and forth on the mountain range, trying to figure out where they where they're going to go. Shoot this ram. Then you got the work ahead of you and the pack out. So did you stay the night on the mountain, or did you make it back to camp? No. Uh, so here's the the when you're filming for a show you got to get a lot of stuff on footage right you have to get it on camera so i mentioned um i was doing a lot of aging through my phone and i was using the other cameras to film and i'm not as smart as a cameraman so i don't know when to turn the camera off and turn it on and i didn't want to have to be messing with turning cameras on when the moment happened so i did a lot of just letting stuff run and letting it roll uh so i actually i had i think i was down like five percent battery on my phone i filmed the kill shot through my phone all my other camera gear had died and i'm like okay dude you got to get up soon because my phone's about to die he gets up get the kill and i walk up to the ram and i got a few quick pictures um and i was about to do some more filming and then my phone died so i had hmm. lost and i normally have a battery bank with me and some charging cables but me being who knows what that morning i left it at camp um so all my electronic camera gear died i have to i weren't not supposed to or not really allowed to you know come home without a bunch of stuff filmed so um i ended up i gutted the animal i gutted the ram i drug i packed the gut bag and everything way away from the animal i slashed the guts and put them in an area that would draw them to a different spot i went back over to the ram i urinated and defecated near him and then mm -hmm. i stripped down took off all my base layers my stinkiest base layers and i wrapped this ram up so I, I gutted him i put him in a position where the wind would blow a nice cooled him off um and then i wrapped him up like a mummy with all my clothes and uh i waited until close to last light and then i had a really long hike out i got back to camp and then i woke up first thing the next morning with batteries and went back in mm -hmm. to get but uh yeah that was a boneheaded move on my part if i had a battery pack it would have been a very different day for me but uh that's the things we do to be able to share our stories as well right so well and i think that's uh, i was gonna that kind of leads in a little bit later into something i was going to mention about your show uh i mean it's raw it's real and mm -hmm. you guys are just two guys that hunt and now it's the business of creating a television show so you know those are moments where you know, it's a stone sheep hunt in British Columbia. You, you don't you don't want to blow the hunt, mm -hmm. I guess, to sacrifice the TV show. But at the end of the day, you got it done. You got your kill shot. Yeah, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where, you know, if, if my camera gear died, would I have still shot the ram? Yes. Like, I'll be perfectly Absolutely. honest, that ram, um, it being in that situation as a resident hunter and someone who had an opportunity on a ram like that, I, I was definitely going to take the shot. But um mm -hmm. It would have completely jeopardized the experience probably wouldn't have been an episode it would have been something we talk about inside a separate episode um and yet you definitely have a lot of pressure and you take on that kind of weight of if it's such an exciting experience and such a cool story uh, you really want to share it with people um so mm. i really wanted to make sure that i was able to do that and luckily it played out and i mean we were definitely getting right down to the wire but it did play out and then it was a gamble as well i mean anytime you leave an animal in the field it's a gamble oh, yeah. um 
I knew I had shot a wolf on the way in there. So I was kind of in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the wolves aren't going to be as eager. <clears throat> Maybe or they're probably not going to track me, me down or follow my tracks because of the location he was. I felt pretty good about um, my chances of him not getting um, messed with. And then, like I said, um, over my years in the bush, like I used all my experience of what to do to preserve that animal, to make sure everything was okay. So, you know, display the traits of a dominant predator in the area. So urinate, defecate around it, make sure you leave as much of your scent as possible. So I was literally like for hours because I had so much time before getting close to last light before I hiked out, I stayed around the ram. I was just spreading my scent everywhere, geared off. And I mean, I'm sweaty and stinky. So I'm taking all my clothes off, tying them up to them um, and just did everything. And then, yeah, head back to camp. And as soon as I could in the morning, I was right back in there. But it's, yeah. I mean, it was a long distance, so you still, there's still quite a few, like quite a bit in the day where you're not with the ram. Um, but fortunately, yeah, it all worked out. Well, that's awesome. Well, congratulations <laughs> on doing it two years in a row and and upgrading the you yeah. know, age, age and class because, I mean, that's, that's the right way to do it. I think nobody's going to ever criticize someone for taking their first legal ram if it's mm -hmm. legal. Right. And, you know, I think we're the Wild Sheep Society BC is doing a really good job of, of promoting, you know, good decisions. When we did our sheep camp back in the summer, we had um, uh, Bill Jacks on and that was one of the topics we talked about was just making good decisions in the field. And, you know, we spend so much time, energy and money to, to go on these hunts and train all year long to do a sheep hunt. And we should be able to take, if it's legal by law, we should be able to take it. And I think the same applies to deer hunters too, in my opinion, you know, same as mule deer hunting, right? If you're a first time hunter, shoot a two point in October. But if you've shot a couple two points or, you know, you're want to go to that next level, then try Absolutely. to get a big mature animal, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position. So I mentioned, you know, after my first ram, my second ram, I was very selective and, and things like that. Um, I'm very understanding. There's a lot of people that will only ever, if they're lucky, they'll get to go on one sheep hunt in their life. Um, and I mean, ultimately, as long as you're following the rules and you're hunting by all the regulations, it's your tag. You can legally do with it what you want. Um, and then as hunters, I think as we grow and experience, um, an opportunity in the field, we kind of set our own parameters around what we would ethically or, or choose to harvest, I guess, morally would be the right way of saying that. Um, but it's up to everybody. Some people only get like their work or their personal lives only allow them one or two weekends to go hunt a year. If that, I mean, exactly. so they shoot a smaller deer. Am I going to judge you for it? No. I mean, growing up, I grew up in, in a small town, like my family, we, we hunted to eat. Like we were meat hunters. People call themselves meat hunters. My dad was a, a welder from BC rail. My mom like had some on and off jobs. She was a local mushroom buyer. Like three of us kids at the house i'm a big dude i ate a lot like we we hunted to eat that one of the most exciting mm -hmm. things was when one of the boys like came of age and we're like okay great more tags Another tag exactly freezer that's, that's what we did but like did we shoot big bucks yes we shot big bucks did we shoot spikes and forks yes because that was meat in the freezer um so mm -hmm. it would be extremely hypocritical for me to ever judge somebody for doing that have i shot spikes since i mean i i arrowed a spike fork uh, blacktail two years ago when I was archery hunting. Mm -hmm. It was delicious. I mean, so um, mm -hmm. I think as a community, we shouldn't ostracize people for doing that. But I think at the same time, as in your experience, as you grow, I know for a fact that like 
I'm going to shift species, like focus when it comes to sheep hunting, I'm going to switch focus to the next species now, because in all likelihood, it would take me a very long time to find a stone ram of that caliber. So I'm extremely happy with that ram. Will I take other friends out hunting? Will I do other stone sheep hunts? Yes. But the likelihood of me harvesting a ram, I would say is quite a bit lower, at least for the next few mm-hmm. years. So I'll probably go out and focus on the next species down the line though. That's why they call it the Grand Slam. Yeah. Right? I mean, as long as you're in as long as you're in sheep country. Exactly. Exactly. So um caribou then, the caribou this year. Was that the same trip? The sheep hunt? Yeah, same same trip. Um, so the whole trip was just a planned caribou hunt. And we went okay. into the one area and we just saw so many wolves, um, like crazy amounts of wolves that we kind of realized that, that might not play out the way we had wanted because uh, the area where the caribou were, we expected the caribou to migrate through was where all the wolves were. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of had a bit of time to play around. We weren't seeing any caribou. So uh, I mentioned I shot the one wolf that morning. I ended up taking two more wolves out of the area. Um, nice. And then a few days after that, we saw some caribou start showing up. Now, was it just timing because of the migration or who knows what, but the wolves were setting up in a spaced out like web across an entire valley and i watched it happen Mm -hmm. a few times before i kind of um was able to i I guess um you know take the opportunity to go in and remove two more wolves from that group because i kind of i realized what was happening and i was like okay i know how to make a play on these guys now and i actually used i have a pop-up uh decoy from predator decoys or ultimate predator decoy and it's a it's a a cow caribou pop-up and I thought I was going to use that to try and sneak in on a caribou, but I used that to sneak in on the wolves that I, that I took. Really? So they saw me coming in because I had to come across an open area, but I had a caribou pop-up that I used to sneak nice. in. So if the wolves stick around because they saw a caribou pop-up coming in and they were kind of getting in this one area, like that just tells you they were there for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely to kind of thin out the caribou. And they've probably been doing that exact same ambush for hundreds of years and oh, yeah. they knew what was happening so yeah actually blake you got a question for joe you wanted to ask about sheep hunting yeah before we jump um, around a bit. i was curious on like you said you had a few years or five sheep hunts before you were successful mm-hmm. um was there any like what changed for you to like find success versus the first five years was there was it a mindset shift was there certain tactics or specific learnings you kind of picked up along the way anything you you could say on that um i'm sure there are some things that kind of changed about my behavior up there um like little things of where where i set up my camps um as well as probably eagerness like your first sheep hunt um when you're going in i was going in a little green i i was a stubborn athletic individual but a sheep hunt is humbling and it'll break a guy down um and we did a really aggressive one on a map we're like, okay, yeah, I think it was like 35 or 37 kilometers off the highway to where we wanted to set up camp. Um, and we did not hunt our way in. We just like got out of the truck and killed ourselves getting right there, burnt ourselves out, like just maxed our legs out day one, getting to our base camp area. But we also went past so much great terrain and so much great country just because we're like, I just want to hunt this one area. And then we got back in there and we hunted that one area. There were some rams in there, some ewes, like nothing. Um, I think it, we had just missed a few uh, horse groups that had just left. So some other people had been in there hunting the area. So we'd kind of 
shot ourselves in the foot, but we had burnt ourselves out so bad that we were kind of like geolocked. I'm like, man, we can't really hike anywhere else. So we're just going to hunt the heck out of these ridges. Um, we were like skylining ourselves. We set one of our camps up right up on the top of bright yellow tent, right up on top. Um, and yeah, I think we just went past, we probably passed a lot of rams. We passed a lot of sheep for sure on our way in. Um, so I think a few things is being patient, um, taking the time to stop in glass. I had one guy uh, tell me, he's like, you got to stop and make pancakes. I was like, what, is, what does that mean? He's like, you got to take your time, relax. Like if you feel like taking a break, take a little bit of an extra break, do some more glassing because um, you never know where you're going to spot these animals, right? Um, and you kind of just, you have to pick apart every hillside you're going past. Don't rush to one spot. Um, but yeah, probably patience, um, just understanding that you don't have to hunt super hard to be, or you still want to hunt hard, but um, you don't want to burn yourself out right away. And then the staying power towards the end, because the mountains will beat a guy down if you're doing a long extended backcountry hunt. Like mentally, it starts to break you down too. This year, it was early in the hunt, so I can't say that was a big thing. But last year, we were running out of food. I was getting ready to shoot a goat for meat. Um, like I was going to have to push back a bunch of deadlines and do a bunch of things. But I was like, I'm staying up here no matter what. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. just like the mental games, all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the mind is the biggest factor that you have to compete with when you're sheep hunting because mm -hmm. it really is right i mean you hear it from every sheep hunter um and you know back to your point about burning yourself out uh, that's very true i did something similar this year on our hunt we uh the spot that we were that we've been hunting the last couple of years it's like two and a half days packing in and it's um it's a morale buster just to get in there it's just you're swimming in bush, you, you lose the trail. It's just nasty, nasty. And so we had, we always go to this one spot before we, we camp at this one spot and then we hit Alpine the next day. And this year, the weather got really bad on us. The, like when we got to this particular spot. And so we waited an extra day down there and I didn't eat much that day. I was just hanging around the tent. You know, my body was just recovering from the first day. And then on that third morning when we went up, I bonked. Like I, I pushed through it, but Blake will tell you, it was like my low point. And this is day three of a 14-day hunt. Uh, I was just grinding. And I realized what I'd done. I had not eaten enough food during my yeah. off day. Like I skipped like almost an entire day's worth of calories. And then the next yeah. day when I needed them, there was nothing. I was just and, – and I'm 56 years old going with a 28 year old who's you know he's waiting <laughs> for me all the way up there but that's a good sheep hunting partner because he gave me the therapy i needed on the way up oh, sure. which yeah kicked me in the ass he's like dad you've, you've been training all year get your ass up there let's go yeah so i think i oh, i was just gonna say i think going through some like previous shitty experiences makes it like um by comparison you kind of learn you're like okay at least it's not whatever like one trip we were weathered in a two-man tent me and my buddy for two and a half days so like yeah you lose a, a day here a day and a half there to bad weather i'm like oh, at least it's not that trip or like you said um understanding one thing i've done a lot with my diet over the years hunting is i understand i've messed around with the, the ratios of weight food to weight ratio that i pack and i kind of know where my 
I go in the backcountry. I have it. I definitely have a calorie deficit. I know I'm I'm not getting what I need, but I know what like my bonk limits are, and I know like okay, I sneak in a few treats, um, and I know where I kind of want to be, and I'll I'll even pack some days where some days I'll have like three or four extra hundred calories, or maybe a little bit more, and I'll have them marked with something. So I know like, okay, on this day, big, big day or whatever, I have a big day or something like that. Or I have a day where I'm just bonked. I'm like, okay, that's like my, my carrot. Right. And then, and sometimes like those little things will make such a big difference when you're in those situations. Um, that'll just get you through it. Finding that, like finding what motivates you, why you're back there and just reminding yourself. Cause it's really easy when you're up there, you're not seeing the animals, um, you know, weather sucks whatever it may be you're tired you're sore you're not getting the sleep you need um to start thinking about my truck's not that far away like i can be back there and then i can get like i'll be eating a pizza or an AW burger in no time and and then all of a sudden like when you're sitting here at like at your desk or on your couch you're like oh man i can put in 20 days no problem but when you're actually in the bush it's a different story it's like they always say what is it oh, yeah. as a plan until they get punched in the mouth well, after you've, been Tyson. Mouth, after you've been punched in the mouth a few times, and now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I can stick to my plan now. And I've been punched yeah. in the mouth a lot in the backcountry. I've, I've had a lot of unsuccessful hunts. So that staying power, I think, comes with all those failures too. That builds character in the hunting world. That's what you need to get it done in the backcountry for sure. Mm-hmm. So the caribou, um, this was, so you said you were in late September, this, this go around? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we headed up on the 14th or something. And then my, uh, okay. my caribou was right towards the tail end of September. Um, okay. Because of the, the camera meat like there. Sorry. Pardon me. What was the meat like on that caribou? Cause I hear a lot of people complain about that late September caribou hunt when they're in rut or starting yeah. to, and they're on, on the move. I heard the same thing, which is kind of why we were really wanting to get a uh, bull down early in the hunt. Cause I was like, I don't want to shoot a bull if the meat's going to be bad. Um, but everybody says it's once you start seeing the rutting behavior kick off, that's when things happen. So everybody's like, oh, like the 17th to the 20th, if you shoot a bull after that, your dog won't even eat the meat. Like it's garbage. Um, but we were up there. We weren't seeing any rutting activity. Uh, we did see some younger bulls go through after a bit that didn't have, like they weren't acting rutted up. Um, Mm -hmm. so we kind of pushed it and I wasn't worried about it too, too much. And I have to say, like, got my bull down, um, I want to say it was like the 27th. And as soon as we got back to camp, I threw some meat on the grill and I was like, I got to cook this and see what I'm up against. And absolutely delicious, like very mild tasting meat, like spoon tender. Um, like even the neck was a little tough because he was starting to, to pack on some weight on his neck. But it wasn't stinky, um, wasn't tough, like people say, and delicious. And I brought it home. I've cooked it. I've cooked up roasts, steaks. I even did some some neck stew chunks. I cooked them up in my cast iron as like steak bites because I was like, if, if, if anything's going to come out, it's like overheated neck meat is going to taste off. And they were delicious. Um, they were a little tougher than everything else, but still delicious. So I think I think this year, because of the weather, that might be why we didn't see them until later. Um, we had such a hot summer and the weather stayed really warm until later. I talked to some people mm-hmm. in the area and they said normally you'd have snow on the ground by then. We only had like skiffs one or two days. Um, I think the rut, it's weird because the rut seemed to kick in 
a little bit early for some of the elk, but then it's, it's still holding on right now, actually. But it's just been a really weird year. So I think we lucked out with like delicious meat. I've cooked it for, we've had some friends over and everybody said it's delicious. And yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, or I did the old meat eater, Steve and Ranella, like eat the fat from behind the eyeball. People told me about it. I was like, no way. I'm sorry. I'm shaking my finger here, but I was like, no way. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. And I pulled the eyeball out and I grabbed a little pinch and I was like, I'll try it and threw it in. And I kid you not, like before I knew it, I was two knuckles deep gouging the rest of that eyeball fat out. <laughs> it was, that right? well, it was if, if you ever get a bull caribou down, eat the eyeball fat, you will not be disappointed. That should be a t-shirt that Joe sells, hey? You know, eat the eyeball fat. Eat the eyeball. Well, you know what? I tried it on my elk last weekend. Not the same at all. No. Different you smell experience. It and I'm like, you smell the caribou fat and you're like, okay, it smells weird, but maybe it'll be different. It tastes different than what you expect. When you eat the fat from behind an elk's eye, and he was running up too, it's exactly what you expect, and it is not good. Like it is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had yeah. T-shirt number two, don't eat elk eyeball fat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so the caribou, and then you mentioned elk are still in the rut. Uh, so you did yeah. uh, you did a, a late season elk hunt. And was that, was it typical elk, um, bugle them, call them in, cow call, or was it spot and stock? How did that one go? Yes and no. So I went out uh, to the Kootenays at the start of September for archery elk. And um, based on like what they were doing last year, I was like, oh man, it's going to be slam dunk. We're going to be chasing bugles. We're going to be screaming. Like it's going to be a blast. And the bulls were still bachelored up. I mm -hmm. hiked in on some and I let out a cow chirp and the bulls were gone. Like they would take off out of there. Um, they wanted nothing to do with cows. Um, so it made for a really tough hunt. I did, we hiked back into some real crazy spots and uh, found some bulls that were hanging around with cows, but still, they weren't fired up yet. They weren't running the cows. They were just with them. Um, and we kind of hunted them like you would white, like spawn stock white tail or black tail, like just trying to play their movement patterns and get in on them. And I got into 40 yards on one really nice bull. Um, he was just standing behind a tree and I was getting ready to draw on him. And then uh, did not notice a cow and calf at eight yards. And the cow made me and spun and ran. And the bull kind of looked around a bit and figured out we were there and, buggered off but uh so i had been out there i put in quite a few days early then i left to go do the caribou hunt and then as soon as i got back thank god i have a patient wife because i said honey i love you i missed you i gave my son a kiss and i was like let's go to the kootenays and uh, go chase elk because i still got this tag and and we love elk meat um so we headed back out there and lo and behold like we were seeing more rut activity when i went back out there than we saw during archery the bulls were bugling all night the the herd bulls were still scrapping over cows and running cows um and uh yeah we we went up but we we did hunt them similar to how we would late season we didn't charge in and bugle them do anything at six point or better the area we were most areas in bc right now um yeah so we kind of just did spot and stock located and uh got into position this one we ended up going like right up to a ridge top and we found them, it was midday. They were hiding in some trees and kind of eating in the shading, shaded areas between trees. And uh, I was able to weave a shot down in to get my bull oh, cool. in the trees. Yeah. Right on. You're busy here, buddy. Holy moly. 
it's awesome. uh yeah no it's it's been a lot i've been on the road a lot like i think i mentioned you guys pre-call i was home three days last month um yeah. and yeah so a lot of time in the bush it's weird sitting in my house right now still um mm-hmm. and i still got some cool hunts left but nothing nothing like what we had done so far um but uh but yeah i know it's fun and very fortunate oh, cool. to go on some of these trips <clears throat> so you're uh switching gears to deer hunting now I would take it. Yeah. 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 I went out over the weekend. I did some scouting for blacktail. I dropped some cameras and some spots I want to focus on later in the year. Um, but next up, I promised my wife, I'm going to try and get her uh, mule deer. So mm-hmm. she didn't get to do much hunting the last little bit, obviously with raising junior and we got out on some blacktail hunts and had some opportunities, but um, yeah, it just didn't work out for us. So going to go out and get her mule deer here. And then uh, after that's done, I'd like to get a mule deer or a black tail hike around. Mm -hmm. If, 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 if I find something nice, I'll make it happen. But like, it's kind of cool having the freezers pretty full right now at this point, it takes a lot of the pressure off. So it's more so just, I'm not at the point where I'm like, yeah, I'll hang up my cleats for the season. Cause being a hunter, Mm -hmm. we only get to hunt like Western mountains for so much of the year. So I'm not ready to hang it up, but uh, I'm also not like, Oh man, I got to fill the freezer right now. So I'm pretty. Yeah. Pretty cool. No. Yeah. You're probably doing okay in the meat department by the sound of it. Oh, that's good. For so that's now. Awesome. The way my son eats, I'm like, uh, I might have to shoot a few more <laughs> things this year because that kid can put it back. Well, you got to raise them right. Um, all three of my kids um, wild game their entire lives, and they all they all get it. They all understand it. So that's cool. You you got them going in the right direction, Joe, for sure. So uh, one thing I wanted to chat with you about, um, I mean, we could just talk hunting and nothing but for hours, I'm sure. But uh, let's talk a little bit about your TV show, The Edge. Um, I've loved it as long as it's been on the air. And um, like I said earlier in in the uh, interview, uh, from the viewer's perspective, and I'm sure you get this a lot, it's real. I mean, you look at a lot of the hunting shows, there's a lot of new content it seems that everybody now is trying to get trying to get their spot on networks, yeah. trying different angles. But uh, you guys are just legitimately honest dudes that, um, you know, I think Eklund said it on a podcast a while back. He's like, he had a mission to be able to find a way to have somebody help him fund his hunting and then hunt as much as he possibly can. And of course, sponsorships, television show, he's got a day job. You've got a day job, you know, tell us about that. I mean, that that's quite a journey I would think to get from the, the concept of, I know you kind of backdoored your way in, you got a, yes. got a great opportunity and you took advantage of it, but um, you know, the history of the edge itself is pretty cool. You know, Steve's story in that um, it's, and also I guess the second half of this uh, question is what's it like to work with him? It's gotta be crazy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of questions in one question. So let me see if I can check them all off for you here. Um, but yeah, first and foremost, we're extremely fortunate to do what we can, what we do with the show. We have some phenomenal partners behind us that uh, I, I don't like saying sponsors because sponsors imply that you're paid to give, a, uh, a um, you know, to give fake validity to companies or products. We've been around long enough that um, we work with brands and products that we truly believe in. Like if it's not something that I, like Steve or I would use in the bush, we're not going to talk about it, promote it, or or do that kind of thing. 
Um, so we're very fortunate in that. And I say partnerships over sp sponsorships because, um, yeah, sponsors just like you're paid to play and that's not what we do. It's, it's a passion project for both Steve and I. We don't make our livings through the show. We make our livings in outside things. The funding that comes in for the show goes into chasing our dreams and, and doing what we love to do and um, makes it so our wives don't shoot us for being out there so much because we can say, you know, a lot of this is covered by the show, hon. I love you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, we're very fortunate. And obviously the viewers at home. So people just like you that, that tune in that seem to enjoy it. Um, we enjoy sharing our stories, as I mentioned. So I'm glad to hear that some people enjoy following along as well. But uh, yeah, Steve started on. So Steve wasn't the the initial guy behind the show either. Steve came on, I think, season two or three. Ryan Kohler started the show. Then he brought Steve on, and it quickly became the Steve Eklund show. Um, just yeah. with Steve's personality, huge personality. That man is made to be in front of a camera. He's an entertainer through and through. Um, so it was a natural fit for him um and he kind of has brought on some great partnerships and has had a lot of staying power and people really enjoy him so that that carried the show for a long long time and right up i mean still carrying it now i was fortunate enough to join the experience five years ago um i came on board and i was kind of brought on board on a short leash as like a uh, trial period let's see how viewers react to joe and what the deal is mm -hmm. but yeah like very right from the beginning it was one of those things where i was like we're not going to be fake um like we're not gonna reenact try not to do any reenactments i mean if we completely miss a portion of a story we'll sit down and we'll talk about it maybe some, to try and tie the story together but like you're not going to see all this if it's a really easy hunt it's going to come across as an easy hunt if it's a tough hunt it's going to come, come across as a tough hunt i'm not going to sit here and tell you it was a really challenging hunt if it was easy um, mm -hmm. So we're not going to blow smoke up your ass. We're not going to do any of that stuff. Um, but one conversation I had with Steve early on too, is he told me, he said, listen, Joe, um, a bit of advice when I came on is he was just like, be yourself. Um, and I was like, well, obviously. And he goes, well, be yourself. Cause if you try and be someone else, if you try and be someone that the viewers, you, someone that you think the viewers want to see, there's only two things that can happen. And they're both going to suck. One is people are going to hate you um because you misunderstood what the viewers actually want and you're going to come across as inauthentic and they're going to see it and they're going to dislike you and then the, the rest of your life you have to wonder if they would have liked you for who you really are um mm -hmm. or number two that could even be worse is they're going to love you for being a fake person and then you have to live out the rest of your career being a fake person on the show you're going to have to go on all these amazing experiences and put on an act the entire time um so that was really cool advice to come from someone like Steve. And I did my best to apply it right out of the gates. Um, as, as goofy as it sounds, being yourself on camera takes practice because as soon as someone turns the camera on, if, I mean, if, if you're like me, I, I was always afraid of public speaking, afraid of a room with more than two people in it, like any of that kind of stuff. So if someone pointed a camera at me, I'd like my tongue doubled in size, I froze up. You're like, what should I talk about? What shouldn't, like your brain goes blank. Um, but slowly mm -hmm. over the years, you get a little more, a little more comfortable with it all. But, uh, yeah, no, Steve's been phenomenal to work with. Um, I'm sure there's times where him and I have both been in, in the room and we can both be pretty stubborn and bullheaded. So we've probably clashed mm -hmm. a few times, um, but phenomenal guy, um, showman through and through and an unbelievable hunter. So yeah. I, I'm very fortunate to be around Steve and to learn from him, um, and to be able to, you know, 
say that I, I get to host the show with Steve, that him and I are co-hosts on the show. It's pretty cool that we get to mm -hmm. both uh, be out there doing what we love. <clears throat> That's awesome. And you guys actually don't hunt together all that much with your schedules, right? Like he's got, he's got a plan that he goes after every year. He's on a big quest and I mean, you're living in BC. Yeah. Right? We, we hunt together every now and then, like we've done Argentina together. I had Steve out here. We got him as Columbia Blacktail. Um, we've done, if we did New Mexico pronghorn together, we've done a few different hunts. We've done Kisslinger's bear camp a few times. Um, just with our schedules, we very similar hunt styles, very similar goals and aspirations in the hills, but different at the same time, being from different provinces, the whole hunter host process can be yeah. challenging. Um, and just the requirements, Steve and I are both expected to put together six episodes each in a year. So now all of a mm -hmm. sudden, I mean, that's six episodes. So realistically, that's seven to eight hunts minimum to be able to have six successful mm -hmm. hunts. And that's still like, you got to have good odds to be able to do that. And they have to be show quality animals. Um, now all of a sudden, every time you guys hunt together, those two hunts become one, unless you get two really good animals. So now all of a sudden it just, it, it spreads the year out a lot because you have, you're filming your hunts. I still, sounds greedy, but I, I hunt for the show, but I, I love hunting on my own. Like my time, my own time in the bush is very therapeutic for me. So I'll come home from a hunt and my wife will look at me and be like, you need to leave. You need to go hunt on your own, clear your head. So I hunt for the show mm -hmm. six to eight weeks then, or more sometimes for the hunt. Then I go and do my own hunts. Then we're on the road a lot um for different expos in the u.s i do shot show western hunt ata i'll probably do sheep show this year we do the sheep show at bc um so when you combine all of that it's sometimes difficult to align our schedules to be able to do too many hunts together but we're, we're in touch a lot we chat a lot we kind of push each other rib each other a bunch but uh, yeah we don't spend a ton of time hunting together yeah, I mean it's interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there when you when you look at you know you started off uh, by mentioning passion project and Blake and I can relate. He he looked at me when you said that because we started Spike Camp as a passion project for you know between him and I something to do father and son. We had a lot of reasons. It's well documented on podcasts and on the platform if anybody knows us. But uh, I got some advice from a friend of mine it was kind of similar to to what steve said and he said you know when you do something out of passion and create something whether it's a tv show or you know a platform like what we're doing and it's directly uh, related to or because of your passion an example being hunting or sports you got to be careful that you don't cross lines and all of a sudden your passion is no longer fun right so you got to try yeah. to, like you said, you got to get out and clear your head. And, uh, you know, we were, we were racing through the summer doing, you know, stuff with our platforms only been up since April. And so we did like spike camp and then, or sorry, sheep camp where we did some episodes on sheep hunting and then we did elk, then there was a wedding and then we're hunting. And then it's like, Oh shit, we got to get back to work. You know, we gotta, we gotta keep the passion project alive. So I can see what you mean. You get back from hunting. There's nothing I would rather do than, just you know shut everything off and get out in the bush and hike myself so yeah it's, good, good tips it's it's a balancing act um i've mentioned it numerous times i have a very patient wife who helps me out a lot around the house but and having a nine to five i mean when you're gone 
I come home, all those expectations, all those kind of sales quotas, targets, all of that stuff, I have to make up for it. If I'm gone for those months, I still have to go back and reach my quotas on all those months. Um, so you kind of have to work your schedule, yep. be creative. I mean, heck, I've got my inReach with me in the hills sometimes, and I'm working deals from the side of a mountain, like helping people plan their marketing campaigns and strategies for the year, right? Um, mm -hmm. But and, and that's where that part of it, too, is why you have to be so passionate about it. I get a lot of people that ask me, like every time I do these Q&As, people always ask, like, how do I do what you do? What do I get into? And I'm like, honestly, you just have to find something you're passionate about and chase that down because – if I didn't truly love hunting, I would hate my life <laughs> because the amount of time it takes to do what I do, to be out there scouting, like I work in the hunting industry. I talk to companies about it all day, every day. Then I'm at conferences for it. Then in my off time, I'm out there in the field gaining personal experience. Then I'm out there filming episodes. Then I come home, I'm testing products. You're doing all of this stuff. If you're someone that loves hunting that's the dream and i'm very fortunate because i get to chase the dream down but if if i didn't truly love it and i was doing it for the wrong reasons i would have burnt out so fast but yeah but i and sure. it sounds like it's the same for you guys right like if you guys weren't truly passionate about this and creating the special environment that you're creating with spike camp if you weren't really passionate about it could you imagine the amount of hours and and somehow motivating yourself to put those kind of hours in and passionately do it and research the subjects before these podcasts and do all of these types of things it would be so impossible because you wouldn't truly love it right so it'd wear you down i hear you brother absolutely well um what we'd like to do now we've gone just over an hour we want to wrap this up shortly so we're gonna we're gonna put joe in the hot seat and we're gonna do a rapid fire questions here so um well i don't think there's anything that's too tough here but um simple one <laughs> What's uh, what are some of your specific goals in hunting? Like you've been knocking shit over like crazy last couple of years. It doesn't have to be animals, but what is your any goals that you can think of off the top of your head? <sighs> um, I mean, standard for a sheep hunter, I want to do the Grand Slam. Um, okay. But for me, my biggest goal in the backcountry is just to kind of keep pushing myself and see what I'm capable of doing and and what I'm able to do. So to kind of go out there and put forward the proper messaging that maybe has a positive impact and helps us hold on to our hunting heritage rights for a little longer. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my personal goals are just to keep getting out there and do what I get to do, to be honest. Awesome. All right. Next question. Uh, what animals at the top of your list right now? What's Joe thinking about? Right now, like the next on my hit list, well, as we mentioned earlier, I'm switching gears into, to um, black tail and mule deer, but um i've dreamed about muskox or bison those are two that i really want to i want to look into um and i'm also looking at a potential alaskan brown bear hunt um nice future, which is something that is a little outside of the norm for my typical style of hunt but i fell in love i watched a hunt i wish i could go back i, I watched a, a kodiak brown bear hunt as a little kid and i can still close my eyes and watch the hunt i been locked in my brain since I was a kid. So that's something I'm going to have to check off eventually. <clears throat> wow, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, what does conservation mean for Joe Appel? And what message do you want to deliver to hunters? That's that's a big yeah, one. You can't do that in a hot seat. Kind of that's like a start of the podcast. <laughs> um, conservation to Joe Appel um, just means 
uh, I wouldn't even say us as hunters, but uh, you know, us as a community, us as a whole, understanding our role in the the uh, the food chain, I guess, or in in the management of wildlife, whether that be cross country skiers, hikers, loggers, whatever, understanding our role, and then within our own realistic capacity, doing what we can to make sure that we maintain a healthy balance and preserve the wildlife on the hills for generations to come. Um, so it's not just hunters, it's not just non-hunters, it's everybody getting together, putting our differences aside and understanding the ultimate goal is keeping the wildlife out there. Just to comment to further that, I think it's been evident in the last couple of years that um, all the stakeholders from the hunting side whether it's um, wildlife conservation groups, First Nations, hunters, even the conservation officers and law and wildlife enforcement biologists, we need to be pointed in the same direction and we need to be aligned. Yep. And that's one of our missions too. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, this is a pretty easy one. Um, today's world, there's a lot of new hunters. Everybody, uh, there's a, it's, a, it's a growth sort of an in growth mode to get a lot of adult onset hunters what would be your best piece of advice for a new hunter um best piece of advice for a new hunter don't think you need the fanciest shit in the bush um i killed a lot of stuff in my life and i had some of my best hunting experiences and hand me down logging clothes um secondhand like junk store rain gear no binos i had an old lever action 308 with a straight four on it and I had great times out hunting. So don't think you need to be the coolest looking guy on Instagram, guy or gal on Instagram to go out in the bush and have a good time. All you need is a hunting license, a set of regs, and a little bit of wilderness and get out there and have a blast. Don't worry about mm -hmm. the rest of it. The rest of it can come. Exactly. Gear can always be upgraded. You just got to get out there. Don't burn yourself out. A lot of people go and they buy all this stuff because they think they know what they want. And then as soon as they go on their first hunt, they're like, uh, this isn't the gear that works for me. I want this, this, and this. And then you sell it and you have to sell it at like 50% reduced price. And it's it kind of breaks you down, demoralizes you a bit. So like start small and work from there. Yep, yep. good advice. Uh, what's your favorite British Columbia species to hunt? Oof, oof. Um, there's I, I there's so many different species and I could argue for each one of them. Um, I've truly enjoyed hunting stone sheep. Um, I mean, if I could say species as a whole, I'd just say sheep in general. But mm -hmm. um, I love elk hunting. <laughs> the, the once you hear a bull bugle at you. Um, but I mean, to be perfectly honest, if there was only ever one hunt I could do for the rest of my life, and it's one that probably gives me the most grief and frustration, it's blacktail hunting. It's what I grew up doing. I hate it. I hate it. And I love every moment of it um, at the same time. But it's what I grew up doing when I'm out there. It brings me back to my childhood. Um, I lost my father. I get to kind of go back to some of those cool moments yeah. hunting with him. And uh, yeah, I just, I truly love it. A fall wouldn't be a fall without a little bit of blacktail hunting. So probably blacktail hunting, despite the fact that we have so many great opportunities. It's interesting because Blake and I had a chat earlier today and he said, what do you think he's going to say to that question? And I said, blacktail. I said, you can see the passion in Joe when he talks <laughs> about blacktail hunting. And yeah, that's awesome. So what's your, uh, what's your best tip for a blacktail hunter that's starting out? Because 
that young fella sitting in that other camera, he's on a blacktail journey, just started like a year ago. So what's your best if, tip for him? If you think sheep hunting is a mental game, get ready for blacktail hunting. <laughs> blacktail hunting sucks. That's my best advice for it. And it's only getting worse because everywhere I used to hunt is getting overpressured. Um, yeah. The shittiest weather, the nastiest days, um, the days you don't want to be in the bush are the best days to be out there. The nastiest spots are normally the best spots to go for them. Um, and if you see a doe, you're having a smoking trip. So, like, if you see <laughs> yeah. anything, yeah, you're doing well. <laughs> There's That's certain funny. spots. Well, I know some people that hunt areas and they, they're doing really well. But for a lot of the hunts I've done, it's one of the most miserable, frustrating hunts. I think that's why I love it so much because growing up, I mentioned I had the lower end of the gear, right? So I was always soaking wet. I was always cold. Like, my hands were pruny. I was starving. I was miserable. And you go from just this really terrible kind of like, I want to go home. And then all of a sudden you see the deer and they're absolutely beautiful. Like if you've seen a true blacktail when it's wet in the bush, in the low cover brush, when they have those kind of burnt orange horns and that dark kind of cape coming out, there's few things that are as beautiful as that. And all of a sudden you're having like the worst day, you're miserable. Then you get this beautiful buck down and then you get to go home to the warmth of your house that night normally and like celebrate mm -hmm. like that's one of the coolest things so it's a great experience but i think what makes it so good is the fact that the lows are so low <laughs> so be prepared for that <laughs> that's awesome yeah. oh yeah that is so true um okay we're we only got a couple more jill and then we're gonna cut you loose so uh what's your this might be a hard one this would be a hard one for me Oof. your favorite wild game dish and you are a foodie so is there something that you're like if you had to cook one more wild game meal what is it? Stone sheep ribs over an open fire. Done. Uh, Easy. I'm two for two. Nice. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, now you can plug a partner if you want on this, or you can just pick something that you've tried and you like it. What's the best new innovation in hunting gear that you've tried out this year so far? Have you tried anything um, new? I'm sure you, you, know, you know what? You know what I'll say? And I've talked about it a lot, to be honest, and I've messed around with a lot of different phone scope adapters. Um, the new all-in adapter and not partnered with them, not affiliated with them in any way, shape or form. And I do have a lot of phenomenal partners that make really good products. But I would say for me, it had the most impact on my hunt so far this year was the ability to quickly connect my phone to my spotting scope and use that to successfully ID my RAM. I mentioned he only showed his face for six seconds. And I was quickly able to phone on, poof, film, record, confirm, um, especially with what's going on in the province right now with, you know, issues of short sheep, um, immature sheep, like illegal rams being harvested, things like that. It doesn't have to yeah. be the only one. That's been my best experience so far out of the ones I've tested. Um, but that is an, a phenomenal tool for aging sheep in the hills. You can get a good picture. You can freeze frame the one spot where the light hits it right, and then you can zoom in further. Um, mm -hmm. and you can wait because sometimes when you're watching, you get that one glimpse and you're like, oh yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty confident. And I think a lot of people talk themselves into bad situations, um, yeah. this will prevent that and it'll allow you to really look and go, yep, yeah, no, that's, that's legal. So I think for that, that reason, I would say that piece of equipment has been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other reason is if I went down the full list of other gear that I really believe in and love we'd be here all night too. So yeah, I hear, I'm, I'm a gear guy. A lot of my social though. So if people follow along, um, I, I talk a lot, a lot about different gear that I'm testing out there. 
Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm a gear junkie. Blake knows it. Um, if I don't like it, it's sold and I move on. Uh, yeah. We um, we did the uh, we bought an Olin as well, or all in. I guess they call Olin, it. Olin. I don't and, know if I'm saying yeah. it. Never. Yeah. Absolutely a game changer um, for us. I mean, I've I'm not a techie guy, and I can't tell you how many times I've fiddled around with you know other companies' versions of that you know adapter. And you're right. You just take your phone, boom, it's on there. Bam, you can open it up. You can do all the freeze frame. You can pinch. You can, yeah, they're, they it's, are a game changer. It's not the cheapest by any means. And I've, I've used some other ones that are more universal for other optics, which were great and far more price, mm -hmm. uh, you know, effective. But just for ease of use and speed and the clarity that I've been able to pull out of it, I would be lying if I said anything's come close. Sure. Awesome. Well, Blake's got uh, Blake's got a question uh, from Instagram, I think, right? Yep. Yeah, I th you must know this guy, Matt Albright. I think he's a former footballer as well. Uh, he was oh, yeah. asking, he was asking um, if you ever hunt waterfowl or if you have any interest or experience with those. Yeah, yeah, I've hunted waterfowl. I lived in Ontario for eight or nine years when I was in the CFL, and then when I went back to school and I was doing my masters and stuff, and uh, we did. I mean, that's a major flight path in Canada. So we did a lot of uh, duck and uh, goose hunting. Um, I enjoy it a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a very different type of hunt. Um, just, I mean, for me personally, I love them both. Like a blue teal or something is delicious, but it's like that much meat. Whereas yeah. I love shooting the geese because they're huge and they make a huge thwomp when they hit the ground. And then they sure do. I make, I used to make some really deadly uh, jerky. Cause it's like a red meat, like a beef. I, I made some good poppers and some good dinners, but my favorite thing to do a thick cut jerky with goose meat. Oh, deadly. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I love, I love waterfowl hunting. Have I got a chance to do much of it lately? No. And we're also right on the coast. So some of the birds I have shot out here have been very fishy, which yeah. being someone who still, you know, hunts to eat, it makes me less tempted to go shoot some of those birds. So I'm, I'm going to have to travel a lot more to go shoot edible birds we'll say mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I grew up in saskatchewan and moved out here when i was like 21 and uh we really we hunted uh, waterfowl out there every fall and oh. it's because you, know, you could just go out on a saturday and do it or tuesday or whatever and um it's the one thing i miss the most about uh, hunting is living out here we lived in the fraser valley for a, a long time and I got my uh, I got my dose of waterfowl hunting there, but there's guys every hundred yards when you're hunting out here, and it's combat hunting, right? So it's a little crazy, but um, yeah, yeah waterfowl is a lot of fun, and they're good. I mean, delicious is delicious. Yeah, Saskatchewan, yeah, Ontario, sure. major flight paths, major agriculture areas as well. So it's a lot of grain-fed birds. So it, it's like it's delicious meat. It's a social hunt. It's a great introductory hunt for a lot of new hunters because you can talk, you can blow a hunt, like you can mm -hmm. blow, you know, the approach on a few different animals and be like, okay, we'll get the next one, right? So you can talk, you don't have to worry about your smell. You don't like, you just got to sit in a blind and be quiet for a bit. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, Joe, got to thank you, man. It's been a great interview. I think we're, uh, we're what, hour and 20 minutes, something like that, Blake? Yeah. So, yeah, it went by fast. So, um, yeah, I just want to thank you again for taking the time and congratulations on your season so far. 
um, great stories and super happy for you. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see uh, future episodes of Junior out there with you too, because he's got a little ways to go, but I, I got a feeling we're going to see him on camera here soon. He'll be in the field on some of these hunts. He's been in the field on quite a few hunts with me already. Um, nothing that I've harvested anything yet, but it'll be happening soon here. And it's going to yeah. be a few years before he's pulling the trigger. But uh, Chuck, Blake, I appreciate you guys having me on here. And it's been fun. I can't believe it's been an hour and 20 already. Um, I hope I wasn't too long-winded in my responses. Sometimes I can talk or go on tangents. But, no, I've, I've enjoyed the talk tonight. And hopefully hopefully shed some light on some questions or topics and help somebody out maybe along the way. Absolutely. And uh, just closing out, where can everybody find you if they don't know where to find Joe? Yeah, on Instagram, it's just my first and last name. So Joe underscore Appel, uh, pretty simple. And then um, either if they want to watch our show, it's The Edge on Wild TV, or you can download the Wild TV app um, and you can stream, like you can binge or stream all of our stuff. And I think it's Big Joe, code Big Joe at checkout makes it so it's like 30 or $35 for the year for a full subscription. And any wild content that's ever aired on Wild TV, you can binge watch it. So if you don't want to watch linear TV or you don't want to have to wait, you know, till the episode's air, as soon as that episode goes live on linear, it's loaded onto the app as well. Awesome. Right on. Well, Blake will get uh, he'll get the links for all that stuff posted up when we get these things on the uh, platforms. So for sure. Awesome. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot, buddy. We'll talk Thanks, to you Joe. Soon. Appreciate it, man. All right, guys. Take it easy. Have a good night.